It's from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear the word of God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God bless So we've been <clears throat> we've been looking at some passages, uh, and we're going to be continuing this on up to uh, the Advent season. We've been looking at passages that somehow kind of shape the at least the world and uh, and the church world in which we live today. And um, and so we've gone back to that Reformation era, the 1500s, and we're we're pulling some passages that uh, had a major impact on the church at that time. And I think one of the things you'll notice is um, is that these passages are, first, they're timeless. Obviously, it's God's Word that He has given to us. And so uh, they transcend not just, you know, the 1500s or the 1600s, but they come to us and they're meaningful today and they are impactful to us as well. Um, you know, one of the... Uh, <clears throat> One of the slogans that came out of uh, the Reformation period was Semper Reformanda, always reforming. Uh, the reformers, you know, the, the guys that were you know, teaching and looking at the word and wanting to see the church transformed were simply wanting to see the church reformed. They, they didn't necessarily want to break away and start their own deal. Um, that ended up happening, but... But their desire was just to reform the church. And, you know, that's one of the things that we want to continue being a part of. We don't want to remain stagnant. If there are things that we're doing that aren't right or aren't good, we want to reform those. We want to change those. And that was what the reformers were doing. And so this morning we're coming to a passage, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Um, and if you which is a passage that you're probably somewhat familiar with. Um, and out of all of the, the sections in Matthew 11, this would be the one you would be most familiar with. Um, but there are some hard passages that fall just before this. And I don't want you to think what we're doing is we're you know, trying to skip over all the hard stuff in Matthew 11 only to get to the, the cream right here at the end. Um, I just want us to look at a passage that was impactful to uh, another reformer. And the guy's name is Ulrich Zing. You, you probably wouldn't say it Zwingli. Uh, we just say Zwingli. Um, but he was, uh, he was a Swiss reformer. So he was in Switzerland and he was uh, born in the uh, 1480s. I think 1484. He lived till 1531. <clears throat> so if you think about the Reformation period, he overlaps quite nicely with Martin Luther. And um, one of the interesting things is while Luther and Zwingli did meet, they met at the conference at Marburg, um, it wasn't until they had already both been preaching. And so they were both reforming at different places, uh, Luther in Germany, Zwingli in Switzerland, but their reforms paralleled each other. And so 
that's always really an encouraging thing, right? You're down here, you're doing your stuff. Somebody over here is seeing the exact same things that you are, and so they're preaching, and those two lines just happen to converge with one another. And so Zwingli was preaching the same sorts of reforms as Luther, and he was seeing some of the same abuses in the church as Luther, and uh, and then those two lines intersected in terms of their teaching. Zwingli didn't really start his um, preaching in terms of the reform until 1519, um, but he was fairly active um, after he did begin. Matthew 11, eight, uh, uh, 28 to 30, is a passage that Zwingli went to often. Um, he constantly found himself... Um, vectored back to this section of Scripture. And and I think once you see it and you think about it in terms of what he was seeing and what he was experiencing, I think you'll see why. So let's uh, let's look at it. We're just going to talk about it under two points this morning. That means you're getting out early. Um, Two, not three. The first is, uh, what is it that Jesus describes in, in terms of us, right? What is it that he is describing here in terms of us? And you'll see it there, right? He says, um, first, that we are all weary and burdened. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Now, that's a universal all. All, all of you, anybody who is burdened down, weighed down. And really what Jesus is saying is, all of us, all of you that have a burden. And we have a burden, as you'll see, because the law, the Bible tells us, is written upon our hearts. And so there's this innate burden in us because we know the law. We know it internally. We don't even have to hear it preached, and we know it on our hearts. We know right from wrong. And we know that because God has written his law right here upon our heart. And so internally the law is telling us what's right and wrong. And if there's a law written upon our hearts, we're going to find that we don't always keep it. And so it will be internally condemning to us, if you will. And um, <clears throat> and so he knows that there is this burden that we all bear, at least internally. Now this uh, would have uh, this this burdensome all certainly would have applied to his original hearers because in that day there were people who were piling on um, they were they were constantly increasing the burden on their hearers and Jesus is referring not to some nebulous burden but he's referring to a burden that the teachers of the law the Pharisees would have been placing upon their people. Um, listen to a couple of other passages that show up in the New Testament uh, where you hear this exact same idea. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The the slavery that he's talking about there is this law, right? 
don't, don't allow yourselves to be put back into the stocks to be burdened again by the law, circumcision, uh, eating this or not eating that, uh, various rites and rituals. Paul's saying, don't go back to that because Christ has set you free. But the two words I want you to hear in that passage, right, are burdened and yoke. It's exactly the same ideas that Jesus uses here in Matthew 11, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then in verse 28, he says, take my yoke upon you. And so Paul is picking up those ideas here in Galatians, and he's telling his people, listen, be careful that you are not saddled again by the law. But you're not burdened again by it. There's another, Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. This is a few verses, but just listen to the exchange. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The teacher of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads And they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. There you see Jesus challenging the teachers of the law with respect to the burden that they would place on their people, right? Do this, don't do that, and by doing these things, that is how your relationship with God will be right. And Jesus says, be be careful, be wary of these teachers. Then in the early church, there's a a conflict that arises, and in Acts chapter 15, that conflict is kind of borne out. And there's a section there, verse 10, where we read this. Now then, Peter says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter understood and and Paul and the early apostles here, that that these teachers of the law wanted to require of the Gentiles what had been required of them. And so they wanted them circumcised. They wanted them to have to follow all the rites and rituals. And Peter comes to them and says, no, the the, the law didn't do anything for us. It's not going to do anything for them except burden them unnecessarily. Now, that's the context you can hear the the repeated themes of the yoke and of the burden that both Jesus and Paul and Peter and are talking about. It is this extra burden of the law. There's another passage in Galatians chapter 3 that helps make this very clear. There Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And then he says this, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. 
because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. You see, you cannot be saved by obeying the law. You cannot have a right relationship with God by obeying the law. Rather, the law shows you your need before God. The law acts as if, as a mirror, Paul says, right? It's, it's a tutor driving us to see who we really are. And we really are lawbreakers. We really are people both internally and externally who regularly break the law. And so the law stands there condemning us. And Paul says, and Peter says, and Jesus says, that's not the place to run for salvation. Don't run to the Ten Commandments to save you. We're not saved by observing the law. Now, um, Jesus then is describing us as weary and burdened because we naturally want to run to the law. Teachers naturally want to put us before the law. And so that is the place that's easy for us to go, but that is the place of greatest burden for us. And that is the place that will wear us down. And Jesus says, listen, all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me. Now, the second way that he describes us is he says we're all yoked. Now, it's the same, you know, he's basically piling up metaphors at this point, but he says that we're all yoked. Now, he doesn't say it explicitly, but what he says is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke and learn from me. And the implication there is that Jesus is saying, let go of the yoke you are currently tied to and take my yoke upon you. Take the yoke that I'm offering. Get rid of the yoke that you have. Exchange the, the yoke that you already have. Now, this isn't an image that we would automatically, most of us probably, at least my age, wouldn't be familiar with. How many of you all have worked with a yoke? All right, a couple of you. Uh, yeah, a yoke isn't something that most... You know, Go to Cracker Barrel if you want to see a yoke, okay? Because it's probably going to be, they'll probably have one hanging on the wall. Um, but a yoke is, a, is like a giant, as I gather, uh, and I've only seen pictures. It's a giant wooden beam, and it has a couple of hooks, and you, you tie animals to it. And typically what you want is you want two animals that are, you know, similar in height, similar in strength, similar in work ethic, and you want to put those animals together so that they will work in unison to plow a field or do do other manual sorts of labor. Now, if you have two animals in the yoke, and there are some funny pictures out there if you go and look, and one of them wants to lay down and one of them wants to work, it's not going to, you're not going to get a whole lot done. Or if one of them is stronger, much stronger than the other one, then he will work that other animal to a pulp. And and the work will be uneven, and, and it, it's just not going to go very well. 
And so Jesus is taking this image, and it's an image that's used elsewhere in the New Testament, of being yoked, right? So the Apostle Paul talks about don't be unequally yoked in what? In marriage, okay? And, and with that, we always, typically you always hear that referred to as a, a believer and an unbeliever, but you can be unequally yoked in other ways. Um, you can have someone who is really spiritually mature and someone who isn't quite so spiritually mature, and those two are going to be unequally yoked. You're going to have one that's more powerful in the yoke than the other one, and that can cause a lot of problems. And so Jesus is using this image, and, and what he's saying is, listen, First, you are all yoked to something. You are all already in that yoke. You, you already have been yoked to something. And you need to ask and figure that out. What, what is it? You can be yoked to all sorts of things. Now, you know, in, in this instance, what he is saying is be yoked to me. Let me be the other beast in that yoke with you, okay? Because I'll be good for you in that situation. I will give you, you, you know, I will give you the rest that you need. I will, I will provide exactly what you need in that yoke. But the inference is that we're in a yoke already. And what is it? What is that thing that you are yoked to? Obviously, the reference here that, that Jesus is making is that there were probably many who were yoked to the law. They were yoked to the law in an unhealthy way. They thought that the, the law was going to give them what they needed. And, and the problem is that the law, if you're yoked to the law, it will grind you to a pulp. And see, now you can begin thinking, okay, why would Zwingli have liked Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Why would he have constantly run there? And he ran to this passage because the church was holding out the law, not the hope that we have in Christ, not the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to our account. They were holding out the, the works righteousness of the church, and that was grinding people like Zwingli to a pulp. He's saying, I can't live under this. Exactly the same scenario that Luther had. The law doesn't bring me health and life and happiness. It tells me how unworthy I am. And that's what these men were experiencing in the church. And so they were often yoked to that. Now, ask you a question, and this is the, the, the most logical question that you want to ask yourself. Am I yoked or do I, do I occasionally allow myself to be yoked to something other than Christ? For my joy, my happiness, my standing before God? Is there something else that I regularly allow myself to be yoked with that isn't good nor helpful for me, but instead weighs me down, beats me up, grinds me to a pulp? Do you have something like that? Somebody described it this way. They said, you ask yourself, what is your true north? What is the thing that you are tied to that without affirmation of regularly, you would feel lost? What is that thing? Something that if it suddenly disappeared in your life, you would be hopeless. 
That's the thing that perhaps, not permanently maybe, but part-time you're yoked to. Let's take, an ex- let's take an, a couple of examples uh, as I was thinking about this. That Surely there's got to be some biblical examples of this, and, and sure enough, there are, right? Take the example that Jesus gives as he tells the parable of the prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal son, there are, remember, two sons. There's the younger son who takes the wealth, liquidates um, uh, what's coming to him in terms of his inheritance. He liquidates that, and he goes off, and he lives wildly, all right? And so he is yoked to this unreligious living. He's He's yoked to... You know, money and wine and women and all sorts of things that, you know, he wanted to spend that money on. And the, the passage shows that very clearly. He, I mean, he went off and what happened? As he was yoked to those things, he was ground to a pulp and he realized, I can't live like this. And so he goes back to the father and is yoked to his father again. At the same time, the older son is out in the field. And and the question is, what is the older son yoked to? The older son, out in the field, is yoked to his self-righteousness. He is yoked to the law because he's looking at his dad and he's saying, all these things, I've done, I've done everything. I've been, you know, home slaving away for you, working away for you, doing everything you've asked of me, and you never once killed the fatted calf for me and my friends. See? And so he's home looking at the younger brother coming back. He is yoked to a self-righteousness that is grinding him up. The passage, he can't even come into the house and celebrate the return of his prodigal brother because he is helplessly yoked to a self-righteousness that won't allow him to see nor experience the grace of God. What about the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says what? What must I do to be saved? Right? Great question. He seems to be seeking all the right stuff. And so Jesus has a conversation with him, and he lists out various aspects of the law, and he says, oh, I've done all those things. And so Jesus looks at him and says, well, the one thing you lack is you should go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the pastor says he went away sad because he had much wealth. The rich young ruler was yoked to his success and to his wealth such that he couldn't imagine not being in the yoke with it. Jesus offered him himself, like, come, be yoked to me. Just give up, give up that stuff. Now, Jesus isn't saying you've got to give up all your stuff to come be yoked to him. That just happened to be that individual's yoke. That, that was what he tied himself to. And Jesus said, unless you can let go of that and come, then... Can't be in the yoke with me. There are many other things that you could be yoked to. Jesus says, unless you, right, let go of your father and your mother, your sister, or brother, and come follow me. And there are many things in the world that would keep us from being yoked together with Christ. It's one of the questions we need to constantly be asking ourselves. And is there something here that I'm tied to that is keeping me from Christ? All right, what's the fix? Well, the fix is that Jesus offers to us himself. He says, come to me, take my yoke. 
Now, when he says that, what he is not saying, he's not saying, come to me and take this list of do's and don'ts. He's not saying that. He's saying, come to me. Take my yoke. And what Jesus is offering is rest. And that's what the church wasn't offering. The church wasn't offering their people rest from their labor. It was grinding them into more labor. And that's what thrilled Zwingli's heart and Luther's heart and Calvin's heart was that in this reformation, in this reforming of the church, they saw grace again. They saw the mercy of God. They saw that it's not my works. It's it's the grace is given to me. The faith is given to me. The righteousness of Christ is credited to my account. And that's what God receives. And that's what thrilled Zwingli's heart. And that's what Jesus is offering. He's offering himself to us. Well, what does that mean? Well, I always talk about it in, in those two senses, right? First, he's offering forgiveness of our sins. Because we're tied to him. Remember all the passages where Jesus talks about in Christ, right? That we're in him. We're tied to Him. We're united with Him. We're yoked together with Him. And so when we're with Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. But then the second equally beautiful part is that we're credited with His righteousness. His righteousness, His deeds become ours. Credited to us. And that is the radical thing that Zwingli saw in Matthew eleven, twenty eight to thirty. That is the thing that thrilled his heart and soul. It is life altering to come to the Good Shepherd, because he is gentle and he is humble, and our burdens are swept away, and we stand before the Creator of the universe. Right, finally, when we're yoked to Christ, Saint Augustine. Put it this way, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless and burdened until they find their rest in you. Have you found that rest? Do you know that rest? Are you living in that rest? Or are you burdened and weary? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thanks for the comforting, encouraging words of our Savior as He invites us to come to Him. And Father, would we all come this morning? Would we all be there by faith, trusting in the work of Christ? Father, um, we pray that You'll be at work in our hearts and all for Your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, Amen.